out not too long ago featuring Ben Stiller in a very subtle and, I mean, it's it's not really a comedy or a drama. It's just kind of, we'll see how you feel about it, but it, it's a very kind of subtle movie that features two of the biggest comedians of our time, um, Ben Stiller, as I said, and um, Kristen Wiig. Mm, okay. Hey, have you seen the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. No, I have remake. not. I have not, actually, and I know that this is one that you've brought up in some of our earliest K Have You Seen pre-production meetings, and so I'm very excited to finally see what the hype's all about. Yes, yes, we'll see how you feel about it, but I won't say anymore. Hi, how can I help you today? Hi, I can't seem to leave a wink for someone. Okay, uh, I'm looking at your profile. You left a lot of this stuff blank. Well, I haven't really been anywhere noteworthy or mentionable. Have you done anything noteworthy, mentionable? Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? She's gonna blow! God, you're noteworthy! You still there? I just like zoned out for a second. We have ahead of us the privilege of publishing the very last issue of Life Magazine. Jumping up and, and for the final issue, we just received negative 25 from Sean O'Connell for the cover. It's 25. It's not there. I know. Maybe it's still on it. It had a sound that mowed the lawn. I'm Walter. Meet Walter. Okay. Oh, are you coming? Yes, I'm not. Yes, I have to stay. What is it you call it when he goes into one of his little places? Oh, zoned out. You do that now and then. What's the matter? I lost a picture. You should go. Crack the case. Airfare's only $84. Hello and welcome to K Have You Seen, the podcast where the K stands for Kari or Kyle and the rest is self-explanatory. I'm Kari. <laughs> and I'm Kyle. Uh, and today we are talking about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, one of my picks. Um, so Kyle, do you want to tell us a little bit about the movie? Sure. So yeah, this is a um, kind of a, a pseudo fantasy film in a in a strange mm -hmm. way. It's uh, it, it centers around the title character Walter Mitty, who is a um, he's an archivist. Um, he's in, as he describes it, negative assets for Life magazine, which I did not know still existed even in the early 21st century. I wasn't I aware had to of look that. This up. Yeah, I had to yeah, look that part we'll up. get we into this for sure, I'm, no doubt. <laughs> Um, but he's an archivist at, at the Life magazine, and he is um, prone to 
very vivid daydreaming, which uh, uh, other people notice as well because mm -hmm. it kind of spaces out. Um, and as Life Magazine is beginning to uh, essentially stop publishing, uh, he is under a lot of stress because of uh, potentially having his job axed and uh, um, part of that hinges upon his finding this one specific photo from a, 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 a photojournalist out in the field which he, um, he doesn't really lose it but he has to locate it because it's been misplaced uh, or so he thinks and so he begins to actually travel across several different countries to try to track down this journalist, photojournalist, to try to get that photo back, ostensibly to save his own job, but that becomes less and less important as the film goes on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's pretty much what the movie is about, I feel like. Yeah, I have quick um, rundown from IMDb, which is actually my take on the IMDb, because mm -hmm. I wasn't quite happy with it, but... Uh, when Walter Mitty's career at Life Magazine comes to an end with the closing of the publication, he must leave his daydreams and go on a real adventure to secure the legacy of the publication. So, yeah, it's the plot is kind of twisty, and we'll talk about this possibly not that important, but we will get into that. What did you know about this movie? It came out in 2013, mm -hmm. so not all that long ago. Did you have any familiarity with this? Yeah, I do remember the marketing, um, specifically I remember the really big cardboard standee that they had in the movie theater lobbies oh, with like mm -hmm. Ben Stiller jumping from one mountain peak to another or something like that. Oh, okay. Um, so I knew that. I was familiar with the story. Mm -hmm. I read the story um, in high school. Did it was you? like okay. in, in one of my like uh, English lit um, textbooks, the James Thurber story, which mm -hmm. very, very different from this. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And this is also not the first adaptation of the film. I'd seen, like, part of the or original adaptation from, mm -hmm. like, the 50s, because this was published in, like, 1947, I think. Uh, 29, um, I think. 47 okay. was in the original Got movie. Got it. The original film out. was 47. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And it's... I, so I was expecting something very different, because mm -hmm. the short story... Have you read the short story? No, I haven't. So the short story is entirely, like, one day of out running errands. Walter yeah. Mitty's out running errands with his wife, and he's just, like, daydreaming because he's bored. Mm-hmm. And this film kind of takes that idea and almost makes it irrelevant to the rest of the film because mm -hmm. the daydreaming is only like in pretty much act one is yeah. like where the daydreaming is. And then from that point forward, it's all real adventure stuff, yeah. which is completely different from the short story. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Like we've talked about adaptations before mm -hmm. and, you know, I know some, th some people feel very strongly that adaptations should be faithful to their source material. I don't think that's necessary. Mm -hmm. um, but in this one, it was such a strange departure, I almost wondered why they even bothered keeping like the IP in mm -hmm. the first place. Like yeah. It almost became a completely different animal. Yeah, I, my only experience with this story, like as we mentioned, it's been adapted at least three times. I think there's also a, a stage play, so at least four times at this point. Um, and I have, this is my only familiarity with this story. I didn't read the short story. I did not see the 1947 film. Mm -hmm. Just this. But it does seem like in everything I've kind of heard or looked into, because I love this movie so much, it it seems like every adaptation of this is so different. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the play sounds like it's pretty similar to the short story, but every other time it's, it's a complete departure. It's they're just inspired by the mm -hmm. kind of general idea. I think even the um, 1947 film is, 
it's Daniel Kane, who I know from White Christmas. Oh, Daniel like, Kane, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's it's much more of kind of this schlep who's getting dragged around on on all mm-hmm. these adventures yes. versus the Ben Stiller version is very like he comes into his own and creates his own adventures, but mm-hmm. you know the reasons why and how they play out and what their motivations are, are completely different every single time. So I think that's kind of interesting and yeah, it's a good question. Why why do they? with the IP yeah. if it's not really that, that because, close to the original. Partly because, I mean, and we can, we'll get into this, I'm sure, but the, I feel like the term secret life in the in the original context of the short story and mm-hmm. even the first adaptation of the film or the earlier adaptations of the film, the secret life in question there is his internal life, his his daydream life, right. like where he is, he is imagining himself as like a, a brilliant surgeon or a test pilot or whatever. That's mm-hmm. the secret mm-hmm. life. His real life is is the it, you know is very dull and mundane, and it's but it's you know it's out in the open. He's just some guy on the street. But the secret life that no one sees is the one that's in his head. Right. Whereas this movie, this Ben Stiller film takes that idea that the secret life is the one in his head, and it ends up becoming his quote unquote secret life is his adventure life. But he still talks about it, and people know about it, so it's not really a secret anymore. That's a good... I never really thought about the title, but is it... Because, yeah, the beginning, the secret life is kind of his zone out. Like, mm-hmm. he's got all these things going in his head, and everyone's kind of like, Walter, Walter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On? But he does... Like, is his secret life really the desire to have done all these things when he turns... You know, by the middle of the movie, you kind of realize that the life he wanted was to be going on all these right. adventures and stuff. And what happened was he ended up taking care of his his mother and his sister when his dad died mm-hmm. and has just held on to that responsibility yes. throughout his life. So is that the secret? Like, what is the yeah. what's his secret but life again, in this version? Yeah, and it's the secret life still seems to be his, his like, flights of fancy, his imagination. Mm-hmm. And yet that seems to just completely, like I said, it goes out the window pretty much by the very beginning of Act 2 because mm-hmm. the last daydream sequence of the film is him imagining Kristen Wiig playing the guitar as he runs to jump onto the helicopter. Yeah. That's the last time that we see an imagination. And that's like a third of the way through the movie. So the last, right, yeah. the last two thirds of the movie is everything is actually... So I was bracing for the rest of the movie to find out that he had been imagining all of this. I was expecting a Jacob's Ladder scenario. <laughs> and it, that wasn't the case at all. And so I was a little bit surprised like for the entire... I was thinking, man, this is really feeling like a very long daydream sequence, mm. but wasn't the case. Is that, since you're from more familiar with some of the other versions, is do you question reality throughout it? Nope, not really. Okay, It's, it's you, very clear. It's I very, was going to say clear. you don't in this. Like, I think they easily could have made it more of a, like, of a, like, well, what did he imagine and what didn't he? But you really don't. You figure things out pretty quickly yeah. that they are not, re- like, obviously he's not jumping into the window of that building. Right, exactly. All that stuff. Like, you, his, they make the daydreams very separate yes. from the reality, at least a couple moments in. They always surprise mm-hmm. you at the beginning, but then you're like, oh, no, he didn't just bust through the wall as yeah. if it was an Arctic, like, tunnel and, you know, show yeah. up. And and that's the thing. It's like the the earlier versions of this story. It's was what I was expecting was the whole thing to be more reality based about a guy who copes with his dull day to day life by going on these imaginary adventures rather than a person who takes a completely unbelievable adventure in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't think that that was a problem with the movie. It was just something that seems kind of I don't know. It felt. 
like that you were setting up for a movie that was totally believable, mm-hmm. and what you ended up getting was a movie that was completely unbelievable. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. like it's it kind of it's it's a bait and switch kind of a film, which I think I I generally like that. That's not like a problem to mm-hmm. me, but it did feel really weird, and it kind of threw me off balance in like around the part where he first gets to uh, Greenland, and he's and like around the time that he jumps off the helicopter mm-hmm. um, into the ocean. Uh, that's the part where I was like, "Wait a minute! This is—is is this real or is this not real?" Because this movie just took a hard turn mm-hmm. from being a very believable real-life scenario to something that is completely off the wall. Yeah, um, I kind of like that. I thought it was a gutsy move, and I thought that it was—it was interesting. I don't—you don't see that very often. Yeah, I yeah, I'm I'm glad you like it, and we can get into more detail. I it did. I was kind of surprised in doing research for this episode. It only got like a fifty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That doesn't shock from me. Critics, yeah, yeah, and um, well, people don't like being thrown off balance. It's true, and it is a very. We'll talk more about this because I want to talk a lot about this, but um, it's it's a kind of different movie. That's mm-hmm. I, kind of to back up to my my experience with it and why yeah. I brought it. I just love the feeling of this movie. I love watching it. I mean, it's a, it's beautiful. The cinematography in this is mm-hmm. incredible. And you know, I'm not always kind of paying attention to that stuff, but at least not first, but this, like, you can't not in yeah. this. It's so gorgeous. And some of the scenes they cut between are so cool. It's just visually really, really nice. But it, the emotion of the movie, I just like it. I just like how it feels, like the... I don't even need a plot with this movie, if that makes sense, and that's what I want to talk about. But it just—I don't—it's hard to explain. If it, I, it feels very much like the this, like the second half, approximately, of the movie does feel very much like um, a Planet Earth mm-hmm. kind of a thing, or like yeah. a travelogue, like the National Geographic kind of travelogue. Yeah. Uh, things that you would see on TV or or something like that, because it does seem more concerned with showing off the landscape than even the character at a certain yeah. in certain points you do get some kind of meditative character moments that go on for quite a while mm-hmm. but it definitely feels as though they well a lot of times you'll get a movie where the star or the director or whoever just wanted to make a movie in in this case Iceland mm-hmm. because it's pretty and they wanted to go on vacation yeah. well I feel as though in this case, and I and I'll pause for a second because I think Ben Stiller doesn't get enough credit as a director. I think he's yeah. a really good director. I don't think I fully realized that he was the director of this until watching it this time, mm-hmm. and I do. I really appreciate. That. He's he's like, a very he's a very professional director by mm-hmm. all accounts, and it really shows in a movie like this that could have just been mediocre photography in exotic locations, mm-hmm. but it seems like he was really interested in getting the best possible footage of the landscape mm-hmm. in. Iceland or the Himalayas or wherever it was that they shot, um, and that comes across really nicely. And I think that really is a huge benefit. If this had been like an Adam Sandler mm-hmm. movie with the same IP, it would have been a totally different movie. Sure, completely yeah. different. Yeah, I I think there is something about like certain comedians. I think like Robin Williams going back to the Birdcage and stuff. There, a lot of comedians. I was talking about this recently because I think Mike Birbiglia came up and he would, had done this like serious role in a small movie and he's also one of those comedians that they can also do serious because mm-hmm. the reason they are funny is because they get people. They just mm-hmm. get life and humanity 
And I think Ben Stiller is one of the, like, he's clearly one of those people that, like, yeah, he can do the broad Zoolander, like, totally out there and kind of stupid. Not in a bad way. But he also can just do a very meditative, sweet, yeah. like, heart-filled movie. He gets people like that. And I think this, it, it totally shined in this movie. Yeah. And, it, yeah, in the other films he's directed, like you said, even Zoolander or Tropic Thunder, it's like, mm -hmm. they're hilarious, but they're also, they're really sharp. Mm -hmm. They're not dumb funny. They kind of are disguised as dumb funny, but they're actually smart movies about dumb people, yeah. which is a really hard thing to do. Um, yeah. And yeah. it takes a very astute observer of human nature to be able to do that. And definitely, I think Ben Stiller is one of those people. Um, and it feels as though maybe what happened with this particular film was that this was some IP that the studio had access to and he saw an opportunity to turn it into the movie that he wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And so the source material kind of falls by the wayside, but what you end up getting is a, the movie that Ben Stiller wanted. Mm -hmm. Because this doesn't feel like the movie a movie that the studio wanted. This feels a lot like somebody who had built up a lot of capital with mm -hmm. the studio and was able to go through with a movie that they felt strongly about and were willing to kind of roll the dice with and convince the studio to give them free reign. Obviously, not a critical success, not a huge blockbuster. It's visually very similar to a blockbuster. Mm -hmm. It's got a lot of blockbuster elements, especially in some of those fantasy sequences, specifically the one where he and uh, Adam Scott are in the weird, uh, what are they, on manhole covers or something? <laughs> yeah. Skiing and snowboarding down, and, the, yeah. uh, down, oh the, uh, down the streets in New York City. That was like something out of the Avengers, but taken to a very silly place, which I appreciate. That's, I gotta imagine, I think you're exactly right, that Ben Stiller was just like, listen, I have made you people so much money, just let me do whatever I want, mm -hmm. and that had to be part of it, is like, yeah. okay, I wanna make this like very meditative, sweet, like travel-driven movie, but also like, let's do some action sequences. Yeah. Ben Stiller does not get enough action sequences in it's his true. regular job. Yeah, and it, but um, to your point about it being more emotion-driven than plot-driven, it felt very European in its pacing. Mm. Like, it had the pacing of a European film, I thought. Okay. You know, you watch some French films or you watch some German films or even, like, Polish films or whatever. One of the things that you'll find is that the pacing, especially if you watch a lot of movies, the pacing feels different than American films. Mm -hmm. And it's... I feel like a lot of times that is because some of these filmmakers in other countries are a lot less driven by the more traditional plot structures of Hollywood mm -hmm. and they're willing to make their films in a way where it unfolds at a pace that is more based in the emotions of the characters and in the uh, mm -hmm. and in mood, based more in mood than in plot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. It is hard to tell kind of how long this movie is in yeah. real time. like. He gets, he goes and he comes back. Like, I'm not sure how many days of work he's missing in right. here and stuff. But that's, for me, when I think about this movie, the plot and how it sticks together and everything isn't, doesn't stick in my mind. And that doesn't bother me at all. Like, as I was watching it, I was like, I don't remember, how does he come home from Iceland? Like, what happens to send him home? And it's kind of nothing. He just goes home. And yeah. then... Like, because there's the travel sequences and then there's the home sequences, but they're not all connected. Right. Which kind of in my brain, it seems like, yeah, in a regular, like, three-act structure, you would kind of have him home, home, home. Then he decides to leave, and it's this mm -hmm. big, like, building drumon, and he's gone, and he comes home a different man. But, like, he comes home once, and that takes him to a different level of kind of figuring out what he's trying to figure out. And that was very good sneaking in that $10 word, by the way. Oh, that was, yes, that was good. building's Ramon. You hear that, Miss Austin? You proud of me? <laughs> um... Yeah, it's 
it doesn't really follow a typical structure and so it doesn't stick in, like the plot is not what sticks in my mind. I remember the pieces, I know kind of how it is, but I don't remember like the sequence of things. I even, when we when I was watching it this time, I was like, wait, he's in Greenland. I swore he was in Iceland because I traveled to Iceland with my, my family earlier this year. And like, this is the movie that kind of made me like put it on the top of the, my bucket list. I was like, it's so cool, I wanna go. But then I realized like, oh yeah, that's where the boat takes him. And, all that stuff is just kind of a jumble, but the, the feeling of the movie and the visuals of the movie is like sticks in my head no matter what. I suppose there is a version of this movie where he never actually left the country and he's just a pathological liar Ugh. because he did technically always have the photo that he was on this adventure to find in his back pocket and Ooh. he could have potentially just not act, imagine himself going to Greenland and then Iceland. Mm -hmm. The only thing that makes Beautiful that not story. really the case is the uh, is the skateboard, which he could have gotten anywhere. That's true. It um, had like New York decals on it too. And of like, course he, of course he, he is jumping into a helicopter and then out of a helicopter into shark infested <laughs> waters and gale force winds. And of course he is skateboarding down this really steep hill. And of mm -hmm. course he happens to be at Iafialiokal when it's erupting and seeing yeah. the guy he's looking for wing walking on a biplane mm -hmm. to capture the eruption and of um, all of that yeah amazing icelandic pronunciation i must say if that's correct but i learned was... it when it was a big when it was actually erupting cuz i was like i'm going to learn how to say news. this damn word yeah. um but that was it, so funny, him trying to pronounce yeah. Icelandic. Was, yeah, and uh, you know, of course he's gonna be there right when yeah. he captured, right, he's gonna wander right into Sean O'Connell as he's about to photograph, mm -hmm. it, not only in the entire expanse of the northern Himalayas, but also as he's about to photograph this fantastical yeah. uh, snow leopard. Um, all these things, yeah, of course these, he, he's getting extremely lucky with all this, but does anyone really know for sure that that's where he is? Is he like is isn't is Kristen Wiig caller IDing him when he <laughs> when he calls from Iceland? Who knows? Yeah. That is a triangulate. Keep yeah. him on the phone. I mean, Sean O'Connell saw him, but no one can get in touch with him. No, nope. so exactly. Luck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. This is a movie full of very like convenient coincidences, but it just works with the narrative. Like. If that's gonna bother you, then this is not the movie for you. Totally fair, but it, it just, it's part of it. It's part of the experience. Yeah. And there were moments in this that I was just like, it feels like those travel stories that you, like my, one of my favorite things about traveling is just you get all these random stories that you never planned, just weird things that happen to you and you're like, this is, this never would have happened anywhere else, but just because I was here at this moment and then this happened and then I met this person and whatever. And so I, there is, I think it captures an element of that, which is part of why I like it so much. But yes, very implausible. Hmm. Doesn't bother me. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, and I think that that's partly where like your experience of this film, mm -hmm. your life experience, mm -hmm influences the way that you watch this film in one very specific way. And I think that my own life experience influences it in a different way, very in a, in a significantly different way. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, one of the things you mentioned earlier when you were describing kind of like the character background of this Walter character was like mm -hmm. how he had planned to go on this big trip when he was younger, then his dad died and he decided to stay at home, take care of the family, etc. That is almost identical to the setup of It's a Wonderful Life. 
the George Bailey character, has this plan to go around the world, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? I feel like this is not the first time you've compared a movie to It's a Wonderful Life. What's the other one? I'm not sure. I don't remember. Mm. I don't remember. Okay. But it's it, but it, it is. It's like he he it, that, that but that's almost identical. It's like he's mm -hmm. literally about to leave. Mm -hmm. And it's the night before he's about to go on this round-the-world trip, and he gets the news, your father just had a stroke. Mm. And then he dies, and he has to stay behind to take care of the family business, mm -hmm. and he never goes. And so he's still got this, like, suitcase, basically, that's, like, kind of his uh, one of many reminders. And, you know, it's like he uh, observes other people at a distance who are able to do the things that he feels like he has not been able to do. Mm -hmm. um, he works at a Papa John's, which must have been so sad for him because his father died. That yeah. was one of my favorite lines. But yes, continue. <laughs> no, no, no. So any, anyway, so in the, um, in, in the case of like this film, especially um, in Walter Mitty's job you know, as this archivist, he is essentially living in like FOMO Central. Mm -hmm. You know, he is surrounded by some of the most ridiculously exotic photo photographs of mm -hmm. the 20th century mm -hmm. um, at all times. And that is his job, is to keep track of them and make sure that they're all in good shape and receiving the new ones from the field photographers and stuff like that. Um, and so he is kind of living, in some ways, living vicariously through the experience of this um, photographer, Sean O'Connell, played mm -hmm. by Sean Penn, mm -hmm. who... Not a good enough actor to have uh, picked a different name, but that's yeah, right. fine. <laughs> Um, but, uh, he, yeah, so he kind of had this, has this long distance, almost pen pal relationship with this guy who he's never met before in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, but I imagine that that has a large influence on the, you know, vivid daydreaming that he, he goes through is sure. like, he is an observer to other people's adventures as mm -hmm. his job, you know, mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. He's been there for 16 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, that's that's something that I thought that um, I, I thought the parallels in terms of like the characters between George Bailey and Walter Mitty were really mm. significant. And again, just because it, it seems impossible that that was an accident, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. this idea of like yeah. this person who made his decision in his youth to like forego this adventure that he is clearly wanted, in ex in, in in turn to do right by his family, right. but he still has this like un unsatisfied desire that he just kind of learns to suppress. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that very interesting. I felt like that was not explored as much as I would have liked to. I think that would have made it a much more interesting character piece. Mm. Um, but just the same, I mean, it, it, that was all I wanted to draw the attention yeah. to was like that, that similarity. No, that's a good parallel. I do, uh, like, something that I really like about how this movie handles that is I don't think there's a value judgment between what Sean O'Connell does and what Walter Mitty does. Like the, the point is not that Walter Mitty is a schlub and he gave up all his dreams so that he could like have this boring life but other people could have a fun life. Like, you know, what he does, he clearly takes pride in what he does. He is valued by the most valuable person within the organization, which is this creator, Sean O'Connell. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't think the movie draws a point of like, well, you know, you can't really live your full life if you haven't had your, these experiences. Like, Walter, I, I feel like the, the point I draw from this movie is more like you have a role until it's done and then you move on. He had a role caring for his family and then, like his mom says at one point towards like kind of the middle end, it's like, we're all grown here. You've taken care of us. We're done. You're done. You can move on to the next role you need to like you need to play in your own life. And so I don't I think there's a version of this where 
like you can see the um, Adam Scott. Ben from Parks and Rec mm -hmm. is what I wanted to say. Who is the essentially Adam playing Scott. the same character as he plays in Parks and Rec in terms of role. Yeah, no, he actually does. I was thinking about that too. He is and auditing people's jobs <laughs> yeah. during, a, during a, a merger. During a merger and letting people go. Or a transition <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. You're doing great. You're fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the you're fired guy. But he's also kind of playing the same role that he plays in The Good Place where he's just the straight up devil. Mm -hmm. But the way, you know, that character kind of sees him is this like, weird, spaced out, unimportant, kind of, you know, father time type gray person. But that's not the way the movie sees him. I think the movie doesn't doesn't go into that kind of like gross, I feel like very of the moment trend of like, well, like what is your life if you don't experience like wanderlust and go out and go out in the world, mm. blah, blah, blah. Like I don't I don't think it plays into that at all. See, I disagree completely mm. because he, the movie, I think, makes very clear that he is unsatisfied with his life until he goes on this Instagram adventure, basically. And it's like, it. The, one of the things this movie seems to be saying is, go live that Instagram life, it really is as fulfilling as it looks. Because it's like, yeah, his escapes from his mundane life are mm -hmm. these daydreams. And it's like, oh, look at that, as soon as he went to the Himalayas or Iceland or wherever, and did his 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 best skate run of his life and went you know went on essentially what is depicted as something of like a spirit journey into the Himalayas. As soon as he did all that kind of shit, his he's he's fine. After all that, he is the film is very clearly setting this up as like the solution to his dissatisfaction in his life and exactly the medicine that he needed for his confidence, for his self-satisfaction. That is the way that it is positioned in this movie, and I'm shocked that you don't see that. No, I disagree, because the quintessence of life as positioned by this film is Walter Mitty sitting, doing his job really damn well in the place that he loves. That is the final scene, the peak, the thing we have been looking for, the MacGuffin is, spoilers, so sorry guys, please still watch this movie, it's so good. Walter Mitty just sitting and doing his job quietly. I think it is like I there the film clearly clearly has like a a love for this wanderlust travel Instagram life. I, I cannot dispute. But I think it's it's more about like being seen and seeing yourself than like uh, like you haven't lived until you've been hit in the face by a tree branch by a Sherpa in the Himalayas. Like it's not that. I would life. have an easier time believing that if all of those had been unambiguous, all his adventures had been unambiguously in his imagination. If he had actually not gone anywhere, mm -hmm. and Ugh. and the film still valued him as being doing his job, then I would say that. But that is not that is okay. What you're describing is what that the film, would have been. Actually, it's a wonderful life, and we've already done that. What you're describing is what the film tells us. What the film shows us is that Ben Stiller is not happy until he goes on this adventure. And that's and that's and that's the thing. It's like I don't that is his character arc. He is dissatisfied with life. He goes on an adventure. He is now satisfied with life. And the fact that this photographer that he admired admired him mm -hmm. is almost incidental. It's positioned as trying to be like the last word. But it's still not, it's not a convincing argument. I think it is. I mean, he's like, everything, I think it's a you can have both. I like, I would not care for this movie if this was all 
just in his head. I'm sure Ben Stiller could do it in a way. Because, like, ugh, okay. The whole movie being fake is not fun. I don't like that in horror movies. I don't like that in... I'm not talking about, surprise, it was all fake. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, if this movie had positioned them all unambiguously as being like daydreams mm-hmm. of his but not trying to fake you out if it had been in if all of these adventures had been set up in the same way that his actual daydreams were early in the movie mm-hmm. were set up where it's like obviously this isn't really happening like this isn't trying to trick you into thinking this is happening but that's what I'm saying if it had mm-hmm. been very very clear and upfront I would have a much easier time swallowing your explanation of what the thesis of this movie is but that's not the case the story sends him around the world, and suddenly he's fine. I don't think it was the around the world, like. There is, there, okay, there is nothing, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but there is nothing <laughs> that noticeably happens to him or forces him to change that motivates the trip around the world. He just suddenly decides, you know what, why not? And then after doing it, then he becomes essentially emotionally healthy as the film portrays it. Well, he's got like the Kristen Wiig, like that's a huge motivation. I think I think there's just as much value within the like film for his relationship to Kristen Wiig and his mom's clementine cake and moving his mom into out of the home she lived in with his dad into a home where she can grow old and be taken care of and all of that, I think that has as much weight and as much propulsion for his character as the travel, big, splashy, beautiful things do. I just think it's handled very subtly and that's why I like it. It's balanced very beautifully, I think. If there's one thing this movie is not, it is subtle, I think. And I, I disagree. I, mm. It's taken me a couple of times to like, I don't know, to feel some of the weight of some of the points that, that come up. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's it's okay. It I, I I was also reminded of like kind of the the um 1999 fantasy male fantasy fulfillment movies. Mm-hmm. Like this oh, cycle the, oh, of okay. specifically The Matrix, American Beauty, Fight Club and Office Space. Okay. Um right. where basically what they're saying is that the these these are sort of like fantasy fulfillments mm-hmm. of office drones who are dissatisfied with their lives. And the way they escape from that dissatisfaction is to more or less subvert the system in one way or another, mm-hmm. uh, whether that is starting fights for fun or... Transferring small amounts of money until hit, you become a billionaire. hitting on your teenage daughter's friend <laughs> or, or just not caring at the office as a big middle finger to your boss mm-hmm. or literally saving the world or whatever. Mm. Like all of these all of these things that were kind of prevalent for whatever reason in movies that came out in 99 <laughs> and there's been a lot of scholarship and discussion Y2K. on that. Yeah, Y2K <laughs> panic and that kind of stuff. Anyway, we don't need to go into like all of those deeply, but this reminded me of those because mm. it felt like a very similar character at the setup mm-hmm. with very similar ennui mm-hmm. um, in his in his characterization who the 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 with with the story saying that, uh, or the story giving him a uh, the seemingly wonderful cure to what is ailing his soul, mm-hmm. um, and yet 
it's more like the Matrix in the sense that the fantasy is reality. Mm -hmm. Whereas these other films, at the very least, I would say that with like Fight Club, Office Space, and American Beauty, they kind of like scolded the main characters at least, which mm -hmm. is something that I think a lot of fans of those movies miss. Um, <laughs> the main characters kind of learned that what they thought was like the solution to their perceived problems was actually not that much of an improvement in their life. Mm -hmm. Whereas in The Matrix, it's like, no, the you're fantasy, the savior. <laughs> you are the savior. The fantasy is the reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this Walter Mitty film, the fantasy is the reality by the end of the film. Sure. Um, this is a person who is given to living basically a second life in his own head, mm -hmm. uh, not too far off from the way Neo is portrayed at the beginning of The Matrix, um, and then has an opportunity to dive into the fantasy life that they have always wanted for themselves mm -hmm. and shockingly discover that it is just as fulfilling as they imagined it to be. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think sometimes we completely overthink. I think the point I I don't like I like about this that I think part of the point is also like sometimes we completely overthink and making the decision to just do something is it. Like that is the cure. You just need to stop thinking about it and decide to do it. I like that. I get, I totally get what you're saying, but I think this this also has more interest in the like the actual emotional state of the character than like a Fight Club or a Matrix or any of that. Like it's not. This is actually interested in curing the main character, not just like giving them what they want and like watching them like an ant in a maze. That makes sense. Perhaps, I don't know. Again, I it's, it seems very clear to me that this that what we're maybe not the intended. Takeaway, mm -hmm. and again, I think that you're right. I think that what you're you're taking away is what the movie intends for us to take away, which mm. is that Just a Walter drone is taking a, what the movie wants. Walter us to. is a valuable member of this legendary team, which is true. Mm -hmm. But just that clearly was not. There was something. There was an itch that that was not scratching. That he has to depart from reality and essentially have hallucinations. Like these would go past daydreams, almost into hallucinations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And one, and those stop once he experiences the real thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, and again, that is what that, that's that that is persistent throughout the entire film. Now, that, and there there are two quotes here that I that I want to read that are brought up in the film. One several times and one only once. Mm -hmm. So there's one to see the world, things dangerous to come to. To see behind walls, draw closer to find each other and to feel. That is the purpose of life. That is the motto of Life Magazine. It is mm -hmm. printed on the wall. It shows up stylistically multiple times yep. in the film. It is presented as the thesis of the film. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. The quote um, or the the, I like the quote. Theme. I like that as a thesis as mm -hmm. well as, and as a theme. I feel as though the movie has a very specific idea of how to achieve this mm. because this doesn't say... It says, to see the world. Okay, on a surface level, yes. That is the, again, the Instagram thing that I was talking about earlier mm -hmm. where it's like you see it all um, in one way or another. Some people see it firsthand. Some people see it through the window of a screen mm -hmm. or a magazine page. Things dangerous to come. Negative. Or a negative. Things dangerous to come. Again, some people see it firsthand. To see behind walls, draw it closer to find each other and to feel. Those parts are, anybody can do that anywhere. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. That is purpose of life. Again, Half of this is like something that is very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's rarefied air. Mm. It is something that is very few people are going to experience firsthand. And the rest of it, it's like there's the, like the, the opening two 
portions of this life motto are kind of exclusive. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest is kind of, you know, to experience firsthand, whereas the rest of it is what is open to people like Walter. You know, he is seeing the world and the things dangerous to come to th- through Sean O'Connell's lens, mm-hmm. as well as through the archives that he inhabits. Um, and the rest of it he has a hard time with. And he has a hard time with the rest of it until he sees the world and the mm-hmm. things that are dangerous to come to. Mm-hmm. And then he has an easier time seeing behind the walls, drawing closer to each other, find each, finding each other and to feel. Um, he seems kind of numb through most of the first half of the movie. It's like he is like emotion adjacent, you know, mm. throughout a lot of the, except in like brief, brief moments, like when he's showing uh, the young kid Rich how to do the skateboard tricks. Mm-hmm. He feels again. I thought that was a. I thought that was a a daydream. Yeah, definitely yeah. thought that was a daydream. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, it feels as though this thing that they have as set up as the. The thesis for this film, the theme, main theme of this film, it's it's curious when you when I broke it down because I kept th- it stuck in my head. And I kept thinking about it, but breaking it down the way that it's presented for this character's journey mm-hmm. is, I thought, kind of unmistakable. Um, second quote, which mm-hmm. only shows up one time, is when Walter meets Sean O'Connell in the Himalayas and he chooses not to take a photo of the snow leopard. He mm-hmm. says, "Beautiful things don't ask for attention." Mm-hmm. And it seems a little bit unclear as to how that fits into the greater text. Oh. How that fits mm-hmm. into the greater text of the film. Um, because it's not, it, I feel like it's, it, that, uh, I feel like uh, Walter, that applies to Walter because he's ostensibly not drawing a lot of attention to himself mm-hmm. by talking about his adventures or whatever. But he is telling people about it. He is telling people like where he went and what he did and, and stuff like that. Um, I think what that's speaking to is the the quintessence. Like when you mm-hmm. think about the actual photo and what it means, like Walter is not it's not his travels that he would be asking attention for. It's his entire life. Like the the it's a wonderful life part of his life. He has supported his mom and his sister through mm-hmm. His death, I, you know, it keeps coming back to him writing things out on a checkbook. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that kind of took me a while to get on viewings. And it's he's the one, like, his sister is off kind of doing all these different things. She's, you know, she's not, like, overly zany, but she's definitely a zany. She doesn't feel the responsibility mm-hmm. that he clearly feels. He's trying to make all these things work. He's trying to take care of his mom. And I think the movie makes the point that, like, he doesn't need to try that much anymore. Everyone is taken care of. He's done good work. No, he didn't ask to be thanked or get thanked necessarily. But like, people have seen the ways that he has taken care of them, even though he hasn't asked them to. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point it's trying to make. Like, he, he has taken care of Sean O'Connell's work. Sean O'Connell could not have done the things he did without Walter Mitty being as dedicated to his job and as passionate about Sean's work. So that's where the quintessence where that photo matters so much and where I think kind of the the character arc comes from is that he's his work up to this point has not been seen and that was not the point of his work Mm -hmm. and now it's his turn to go out and see and to experience the things he's wanted to and he gets permission like the people that he has been caring for who he has not asked to be seen are basically giving him permission to do this that he's needed to do for a long time. So 
that's what I think that okay. is speaking to. That makes sense. I uh, yeah, that makes that does make sense, and yeah, I <laughs> I do feel that that plays into the um, that fits into the again like what the stated thesis of this of this film is. Um, again, with the photo that ends up being the final cover mm -hmm. for the magazine, um, the that is unambiguously positioned as Walter's. I guess reward for his hard work, for his for his uh, dedication to the job. Yeah, it's the recognition he never he never necessarily asked for, but that he earned. Mm -hmm. um, and, but ironically, it seems as though that's not what he cares about. That's the recognition he never asked for, but it's not like he really cares that much about it. Like it's nice. He seems more concerned about actually just getting the approval of a person that he admires mm -hmm. in one. Case Sean O'Connell, and another case, uh, Kristen Wiig, Cynthia. Mm -hmm. um, so that seems more, and and in a, in a, if you back it up even more, the approval of his mother, the approval of his family, he mm -hmm. seems concerned with the approval of the people that are important to him. Do you think it's approval? I'm not sure approval, because if he wanted approval, like he never sought out a relationship with Sean more than he had. You know, this is a famous person. Right. Someone else could have kind of tried to be more involved with him. I don't I don't know if approval is the right word, at least in my... Well, maybe he, he didn't seek out the approval of Sean, but he does value it. It's not something that he sought out, but it seems more valuable to him than the magazine cover. Because mm -hmm. his reaction is kind of lackluster when the magazine comes out. He's like, oh, look at that. And then it doesn't even occur to him to even like pick up a copy. And then when when Cynthia brings that up to him, he's like, "Oh, I don't want to seem like I don't want to seem like uncool and just buy it right off the bat." That's not how I read that moment. Like he was with Cynthia, who he's been trying to impress this whole time, and like even that doesn't feel totally. But whatever, he's with this girl he likes, and he sees himself on the cover, and then he's like playing it cool, and she's like, "You're not even gonna buy it." And he's like, "No, no, I'm I'm gonna go back later." No, oh, yeah, do okay. It. Like I thought that was more of a like, "Oh yeah, no, of course I'm gonna go back and buy like I can 12 see copies." That. I, can I just see didn't want to do it in front of you. <laughs> I can see that. Okay, all right, yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's all that having been said, you know, you make a compelling argument. It does mm -hmm. still seem like the film is saying that the cure to Walter's unsatisfying life was to take this trip that he meant to take when he was younger. Mm. Okay, but I, how is the audience supposed to relate to that? To let yourself out of the box you've been keeping yourself in. I think it's less about like this younger trip or whatever. It's just he's been holding himself back from something he's been wanting to do because of all these reasons and now he needs to let those reasons go. They're not serving him anymore. He needs to go out and just like jump. This is his leap of faith moment. And I think everybody kind of has some leap of faith moments in their life. Um, and they don't have to be specifically travel related. But I think for him that was like, this is when you need to commit. You need to commit to doing something totally different that feels right for you once you've done it. Uh, yeah, okay. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, Fine is to all me, I ask for. To me, I, I, you mentioned something earlier that I, um, the checkbook. The checkbook, mm -hmm. I think, is the thing that keeps this movie, I think that was one of the most crucial details of this entire film because it mm -hmm. keeps it somewhat rooted in reality because that mm -hmm. checkbook does not come out terribly often, but it comes out early. Mm -hmm. It helps establish that Walter is concerned with the mundanities that 
everyone should be concerned with, mm -hmm. not just that he's living a boring life, but he's also living a very rooted in practicality life mm -hmm. um, by necessity because he's got a lot of expenses. Um, and he's caring for a family. Like yes. All the expenses you see at the beginning, in the very first shot, he is balancing his checkbook yeah. and they're all expenses for his mother to move. Yes. And then he pulls it out again when he's in the Papa John's in Iceland, <laughs> which I didn't pause it to take a good look at like the numbers or anything, but I was like, oh, that's awfully nice that an archivist can afford this, like to just fly out on his own dime on a lark. That yeah. seems awfully fantastical. Well, that's, I thought that the first time, but I think what I think part of what you're supposed to read into him is he's very, very responsible. Right, like, yeah. He would have savings. He would have a rainy day fund. He has just never spent it. And I think that, and that checkbook is what, frankly, makes me not say, oh, screw you to this <laughs> entire movie and that character mm -hmm. because it makes it very obvious that he is concerned with the same things that like an everyday normal real life person would have yeah. doing something like this, which is, am I, can I afford this? Do I need to go home right now? Mm -hmm. um, so that helped me, that, that helped me stick with it um, when I probably otherwise would not have. And I wouldn't have even noticed it. Honestly, mm -hmm. it's like, I would not have even noticed if it was gone, but I think that it was just that important to make it, to keep him at least a little bit relatable, mm -hmm. even when he's doing these things that are completely unrelatable. Um, and there, and there was something that I did want to bring up, and I'm curious. I, I mentioned this, I touched on it earlier, and it kind of got sidetracked. But your experience with traveling is very different from my own. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I know that we've talked in off air that you have gone, you've you've done a lot of traveling just recreationally, like with your family and stuff like that, from an early age. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's an uncommon experience, and I feel like that influences the way you watch a movie like this. Yeah, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of, like, yeah, travel has meant a lot to me for a big part of my life has been kind of a, a defining thing because it was a uncommon, especially when I was much younger. But I, do, I think this the way it captures it is the way I remember trips partially, is just those random in between moments of sitting in a Papa John's in Iceland or having a, an interaction with somebody that you never would have met and seemed totally strange to everyone you know back home. And stuff like, like it's that stuff. It's not the big like, oh, I scaled this mountain, here I am at the top. It's like, it's those little things that you could have never planned for. And I think this movie really captures that and really like evokes that, at least for me when I'm watching it. So I think that that is totally part of why I like it. Um, I had like something, as I was watching this, I just like, the words that were coming to me were silly, beautiful, random, sweet. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of, there's just something in that that totally speaks to my sensibilities, whether that's travel re related or just whatever related. But like, mm -hmm. yeah, this, this movie actually reminded me of when we were talking to our love, Kelly Quindlin, about um, her movie, the Trouble with Angels, mm -hmm. and it just feels like home. This movie feels comforting to me. And yeah, probably a big part of that is like travel experience mm -hmm. or whatever, but just, yeah. That's... And I'm gonna try to phrase this in a way that it does not misrepresent what I'm thinking, mm -hmm. but I feel like that experience that you bring to watching this film mm -hmm. is something that the majority of viewers are not going to have, and so like, what you're describing, like those moments where, like those little in-between moments where you're someplace weird and something, 
that's hard to relate to. That's hard to I, that's hard to think of in the abstract because that's sure. not it's it's and that's what I mean when I say it's hard to connect to a lot of this movie. Mm. It's hard to relate to like I say it's like how how do you relate to this if that's not something that you can call back to? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the idea of being I mean, I've been pretty lucky in have in the amount of travel that I've been able to do in my life, but like mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people that are going to be watch films like this and like they've never been far from home at all. Mm. And so like the idea of what that feels like, it's difficult to I don't think this movie relates that to an audience that is not familiar with that feeling already. I feel like it is better relating that to people who have something like that that they can call back to. Mm. Um and so like I sort of got it, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel like I don't know. It's like I didn't feel like it was as accessible as it thought it was being mm. in those ways. Because I think that honestly, as soon as you realize that he's not just daydreaming going on these adventures, that it makes it 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 puts a distance between the film and the average viewer. Mm-hmm. That it's hard to articulate, but it's like I, I I kind of felt that because as soon as I realized that oh he's actually jumping out of a helicopter here, I was like, how am I supposed to feel about this? I mean, I've never like jumped out of a helicopter well, and no. shark infested water. Like that's not the real relatable part to me. But I, I get what you're saying. But do do you feel like for you personally that created like it made it unrelatable? Not the helicopter. That, shark well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like you know, just I don't know. I I definitely I will say that for the majority of this movie, I did get the feeling that I get when I see people's Instagram feeds. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Like honestly, like Instagram was the thing that came up to me the most to my mind the most mm-hmm. while watching this film because it was like look how cool this place is mm-hmm. don't you wish you were here right now and i was like yeah i cannot <laughs> afford to be there right now that sounds great but i don't know and it felt mm-hmm. like that was like again that that was part of the as i've mentioned many times earlier in this conversation one of the things that i i i felt kind of distanced me from it was that it seemed like it was really setting up this idea that the cure for Walter Mitty was to go on an adventure. I'd be interested to take this conversation broader with more people because I think what I'm kind of hearing from you is like it's your own individual experience, you, the general you, Mm -hmm. that you bring to this. Like if my travel experience colors the way I see it, your travel experience and travel aspirations colors the way you see it, like how how much distance and what you read into this movie is ex- like directly correlated more strongly than a typical movie would be with this movie. So Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It's I cuz I don't get that a lot with adventure movies in general. You know, sure. like Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie mm-hmm. and they are all over the globe in that movie, mm-hmm. but it never positions it as though going to these places. It positions it at like Indiana Jones is at work. Mm-hmm. He is doing his job. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of puts all like, the the backgrounds are just kind of like cool like locales. Mm-hmm. It's not positioning it, the adventure as what is making this a valuable experience. Mm-hmm. Or or Lord of the Rings, same thing. It's like they go on this massive adventure. I've never been to Mordor. I don't get it. I've never been outside. But it, it doesn't position it as like this is a this is um it it shows these like grand landscapes and things like that. And yes, it's been a boon to New Zealand tourism. And yes, I would love to go to New Zealand because I saw it in Lord of the Rings. But it doesn't set up that landscape and that sightseeing and that it does not set up the adventure 
as a desirable thing. Mm. It doesn't set it up as something that is improving. I don't think that it sets up Hi. the adventure at all oh. as a good thing at all. It's like a the duty. Hobbit? It's a job. The Hobbit, the whole thing is an adventure. Like the whole, And most people kind of like, agree that the Hobbit's not that good. I'm not trying to derail uh, the conversation here, but Okay. That started the whole thing. Oh, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The, I don't the, think the, that the, argument holds up. But okay, what, all, think, all, I'm, all I'm saying is that adventure movies in general don't mm -hmm. typically focus so much on how the how the adventure itself was like the missing piece to this main character. I do think this kind of tab like this is chronicling something that our time is spending a lot of time thinking about and spending oh, money absolutely. for and doing or planning to do or trying to do like I don't think we thought about travel in the same way when some of those stories were coming out and this kind of really captures the way we're thinking about it now for good or bad I don't think like we've finally cracked it and we you know if we all were just like taking pictures with our lens flares at the top of Machu Picchu then we've we've achieved nirvana but I think the value that we put in travel and the way that we see kind of these destinations right now in this moment is reflected in this movie. And I don't, I think maybe having an individual relationship with that thought, like you might be right that that really colors how, how you see the movie. I think that the ending, I mean, I, I can see the movie that you see in there. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would have appreciated if they had had anything in like the third act, anything in the ending that maybe, I don't know, I, I felt like the conversation with Patton Oswalt near the end mm -hmm. could have been an opportunity to kind of, maybe not the most elegant way to do it, but to that would have been an easy way to draw out that maybe that this experience was not exactly what he needed mm. in the way that he thought that it was what he needed. Because Again, there's nothing in the film, like the, what we see, mm -hmm. what the movie tells us is that doing his job, the unsung hero, was the, 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 thing, the thing that made, that gave his life value. Mm -hmm. But that's what the movie tells us. What the movie shows us is different, I feel like. Mm -hmm. What the movie shows us through the 90 minutes prior to that is that the, that the adventure is what makes him feel complete and makes him not have to rely on these flights of fancy. That is what the movie shows us, but not what it tells us. If the movie had wrapped it up with a little bit more, like, a little bit more of a, um, you know, not all it's cracked up to be grass is greener kind of a mm. thing, I would have an easier time fully accepting the version that you see. Mm -hmm. That makes more sense. That's fair. And we could debate for four more hours about of this. Of course. Uh, no, okay. We could <laughs> debate for four more hours about this. I just, like... Why can't the grass just be greener sometimes? Like the grass actually greener? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, it absolutely can. Is that it the movie? It absolutely can. It absolutely can. Is that what this movie is saying? Is that what this movie is telling us? I He's believe it is. He's fleshing out his life. He's moving into a new phase. It doesn't mean his old life didn't have value. It just means that he. it's time to let it go. Do you think, based on the characterization of Walter Mitty in this film, that if he had gone on his trip when he was younger mm -hmm. and everything else in his life had been the same, that he would still be, he would feel fulfilled. Like his dad had died and he went on the trip anyway? Sure, um, yeah, I mean, I do feel like that does change the situation some, yeah. like, but if it was, let's say his dad had not died young and he had mm -hmm. gone on this trip 
No, I don't planned. think he would have appreciated it nearly as much. I think he would have been a different person. Mm -hmm. But we have to cut it off. Uh, any other final quick, quick, quick thoughts? Yeah, um, not really. I felt like overall this was an unusual film for sure. Mm. I did enjoy it. I would recommend it if you are curious about a movie that did not do well, even though there's really nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I think that that is something that I'm always, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. Movies that flop, even though there's really nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what this movie it's is. It's unusual. I it, think if you see Ben Stiller, you expect usual. Yeah. Well, well you then, expect Zoolander. Not, yeah. You expect you Meet expect the Parents. Zoolander. And this yeah. is not Zoolander or Meet the Parents. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but yeah, it's um, it, it's really hard to say who I'd recommend it to, but I would say it is unique. And so if you're interested in something that is unique and ultimately just inoffensive um, and kind of... And I don't mean that in a you bad seem way. You kind it's of not offended. I'm not... I'm, I assure you I am not. I just had uh, questions that mm. were that were raised. Um, but yeah, just generally inoffensive and kind of, you know, just relaxing, breezy, whatever. Um, yeah, this is probably a movie that you should check out. Yes, agree. I think it's wonderful. And now I'm interested, everybody watch it, and tell <laughs> us what you think and how you, how you fall amongst this debate and how your own personal experience kind of plays into what you see in this. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did not mention up to this point but needs at least a shout-out is the soundtrack, I think, is... Incredible. It's very good. I really like it. I listen to it. I like never buy movie soundtracks. That's just not something I do. But like this one I did. And I listened to it for like months after I saw this movie for the first time. Do you have a three sentence review for us? I do. Uh, it's fairly easy to see why Walter Mitty never became a box office smash hit, but it's also a great example of why a movie lacking mass appeal isn't necessarily a failure. A tonally odd meditation on what adds value to life, this movie never feels messy, but sometimes seems unclear about what it's trying to say. Depending on what lens you view this film through, it could either come across as a breezy, mellow experience or an assertion that the only way to live your best life is to throw caution to the wind and hop on a plane to wherever. Your mileage may vary. Wow. Did you write that as we were talking? That's nope. like poignant. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, excellent. Well... Yeah, that's Walter Mitty then. What are we in for next week? What where we, what are we going to watch next week? Okay. Okay. So next week, since we're in October now and we're coming up on Halloween. Ooh. Yeah. That was a spooky ghost you just heard in yeah. the studio. Oh, oh, God. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, okay. So I want to show a horror comedy. And mm. I'm debating right now if I even want to give you options because there's two I really want to show and I just don't know which one I want to show you. I think I Sounds got. Like you should give me options. I don't think so. I think I know exactly which one. So, oh. you've you've seen other films by this filmmaker. Oh. We've discussed this at length, and I am kind of surprised. I have been shocked before at movies you have seen, and mm -hmm. I am shocked that you have not seen this one. Huh. Um, this is from the brilliant, one of the finest cinematic minds, let alone comedic minds oh. of our day, uh, our the genius day. that brought us Baby Driver, and The World's End. Mm. And oh. Hot Fuzz. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. oh, okay, I know what we're going to... Yep, yep. Lay it on me. Okay, have you seen Shaun of the Dead? I have not. I'm excited to kind of round out this, like, Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright collection, more or less. I'm sure there's other ones I'm missing, but, like, that's the main one. That's kind of the That is That is the, the one that tier. put him on the map, for sure. Yeah. The film that introduced me to the work of Edgar Wright and mm -hmm. uh, one of the... Uh, 
formative film experiences of my teenage years, I would say, mm -hmm. and one that I still have in heavy rotation. It is easily one of my favorite films. Oh. It's just a delight to watch from front to back. It is so funny and so good, even when you dissect it to hell and back. Mm. Shaun of the Dead, that is our film for next week. Oh man, okay, I'm excited. I'm excited to launch right in Oct into October with a uh, great horror Zon movie. Zon-rom-com. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited, as I said, fill out the collection. Uh, before we go, mm -hmm. and before I do our social plugs, I have to say one of our most dedicated listeners is getting married this weekend. Ooh. So congrats, Tia and Brian. Congratulations. Little shouts to you. Um, yeah, check us out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Mostly just mostly those Facebook and two. Instagram. We'll work on it, <laughs> but we are at K. Have you seen with underscores in between the words? So check us out. Talk to us when we're not on air, and we will talk to you next week. Absolutely, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Ground control to major tongue. Ground control to major tongue. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Commencing countdown engines on. Check ignition and may God's love be with you.